Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. this, but I was listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer the other day. It was on Friday, and Bob was lamenting some non-penalty calls that have occurred against the Oilers' Connor McDavid this year, and he was talking this over with Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet, who you all know, I'm sure, and you may remember Elliot as a, uh, as a younger reporter starting off probably 18, 19 years ago on The Score and uh, doing a variety of reporting, including uh, working Toronto Raptors games. And this really struck a chord with me here, this clip from Elliot. Well, the one thing that I do think is interesting is that, like, as a guy who used to love the NBA, I still love the NBA, I just don't cover it as much. The NBA definitely has a star system. Um, You know, I broke into the business covering the NBA, and I really saw it firsthand when I covered the Raptors as a radio reporter. Like, the stars in the NBA, they get the call, and the NBA wants it that way. The NHL has always been kind of the reverse. It's like, you know, we want a tough game, and anytime a star, people think the stars get preferential treatment, like, oh, it's like almost like, it's like, you're you're a wimp. You should be want to fight through the toughness. Like that's that's the way the NHL is. And you know, without commenting on that particular call last night, because like I said, I was working the other game and I didn't see it. I do think that there is a mentality in the NHL that our stars should have to work through things as opposed to getting called. Now, I do think that's changed a lot in 20 years. I, I think we've kind of moved in a little bit of the other direction, but. You know, if you look at the guys who draw penalties and you look at Connor McDavid's drawn list of penalties and where he ranks, it's not as high as you would think. And I do think that's been a problem for Edmonton this year. You know, Pouliot got traded. Everly got traded. Everly drew penalties. Pouliot was both ways. He took a lot of bad penalties, but he also drew them. And I, I do think that if you told me that McDavid probably doesn't get as many calls as he should, I would probably agree with that. Okay, so there's Elliot Friedman, who's covered both leagues, who is not a, a, an Edmontonian. So, uh, I mean, it's easy for, for you and me as Edmontonians who watch every Oilers game and think that, that there should be more penalties called when Connor McDavid gets a tug or is tackled or, or whatever. Uh, that is from Elliot. Stars get the calls in the NBA, and the NBA wants it that way. In the NHL, there's the mentality is that our stars should have to work through things. Found this very interesting, and no better man to discuss it than my old friend, the executive director of Basketball Alberta, it's Paul Sir. Paul, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? 
Doing great, Reed. Good to be here with you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, man. I, I always love uh, shooting the breeze with you because uh, uh, you, you have a lot of practical and philosophical knowledge, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, and well, that's, uh, what, that's what you get when you get old. Yeah, well, so. yeah, I mean, you're almost 30. You're like, you have Absolutely. so much experience under your belt. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, I'll start generally. What, what do you think of uh, Elliot's comment there? Well, I think I, I think he's pretty much on the mark. Um, the only thing I would say is I still think the star system in the NBA exists not only with with fouls on occasion, but also with 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 various various plays during a game. I saw LeBron James basically do a run like a run that you'd expect somebody to pole vault with. <laughs> With the basketball once, and he literally took four or five steps after he picked the ball up, and no call. In in the you know, if it's always to me, as much as you see the superstars get calls that you kind of raise your eyebrow and go, "Wow, why you know why did he get that call?" It's more the calls the guys that are that are new to the league, uh, or that the refs have dubbed as not being very good players. They can't do anything. They're called for traveling. They're called for touch fouls. Everything they do, they get called. And then somebody like LeBron uh, can take a running start, and, and there's no call at all. Or he gets touch fouls that others don't. It just it just happens. The aura is bigger than the game sometimes. Do you also think that the stars in the NBA get the benefit on defense? You know, like a, a hand check, a, a, a block, or, you know, like that they might get away with a little more physicality defending as well? I do, I, and I always look at LeBron. I'm, I'm picking on LeBron. It's not well. Just he's LeBron, the biggest guy in the game right now, so we got to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's I mean, the, he's the dominant. He's the dominant force. And the thing that's interesting about LeBron is he is so strong, and 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 overpowering as a player. At, at, you know, at pretty much all five positions on the floor. Read, but sometimes you know when he's trying to pretend like he's taking a charge, it's so clearly clearly not a charge and he gets tapped by a guy 100 pounds lighter than him and he flies like he's been shot out of a cannon and somehow he gets the call now they've taken some steps you know they don't the the no flopping rule but lebron's still going to get the call most of the time the stars are going to get the call most of the time so the one thing i would say and i saw this in the last couple of years with steph curry like they talk uh you know you were talking with elliot about clutching and grabbing with Connor mcdavid you see that a lot with Curry, where they, they they really wrap their arms around him coming out of screens, and the refs do tend to let more go in the playoffs. So I think in the playoffs, the refs do swallow their whistles more often than not, but the regular season, no doubt about it, the Stars get the call. Yeah, and Paul, like I, I love talking about this with you because I mean, you and I have talked before, and you've told the story. You, I mean, you grew up in the states. You played the basketball collegiately, so you played a high level of basketball, and you've you've now live in a, a Canadian city, and, and you know what the hockey mentality and the market is like for hockey. So I, I love uh, hearing this from you because you kind of understand both 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 sides yeah. of it and some of the uh, strengths and weaknesses uh, of either system. Like, why? Do you, where do you think this started? in the NBA like is it I'll, I'll just like is it a product of there's maybe fewer players uh, well there's not fewer players but you're you know in basketball you can be in closer proximity to the ref is it that two points in a basketball game don't have the same impact as one power play goal might be in a hockey game like where do you think the, the preferential treatment for the stars came from well I would say in the NBA 
there's an intimidation factor. And I think the point you just made, Reed, is really critical. You're right on the court with the officials. There's three of them intermingling with all of the players. And now you're an official. You're 6'1", 195. Everybody around you is bigger, stronger, faster, imposing. And every player has learned, almost every player is speaking at the ref through the entire game. Every call, I shouldn't say every call, 80% of the calls are uh, are responded to by players where they're beaking at the ref about it. I didn't do it. What, you know, what do you mean? They're, they're over pleading that, you know, you swear to God that they should have a lawyer with them everywhere they go on the court sometimes because they're always pleading their case. So I just find it, you know, I, I find that interplay really interesting, but there are only a few big dogs and the big dogs are the ones that I, I find that that refs are going to defer to. There really is an alpha male, I believe, an alpha male effect, uh, conscious or subconscious, on officials by the perceived to be superstars. And they're usually going to get something blown their way that the, the lesser perceived player isn't going to get. So I think a lot of it has to do with what you just pointed out. It's the close proximity and the relentless speaking that I think that I think affects officials at times uh, in in where who they may favor and and I really mean this officials do a phenomenally good job at 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 the NBA level and really at every level I, I think overall they do a good job once in a while though you just see plays that you just scratch your head and go well, what were they thinking on that well and and another interesting thing about basketball too I mean look Connor McDavid plays. 20 minutes a game to round off. I mean, some games he might play 18, some games he might play 23. If you're the best player on your basketball team, you're playing 44, if not all 48 minutes. I mean, occasionally a guy will play the entire game. So, yeah, you could be... You're right about the beating at the ref. I mean, if Curry brings the ball up and he can say to the ref, he's hand-checking me. The next time yep. Curry can bring the ball up and say he's all over me. Maybe the third time the ref is watching for it so close. Whereas Connor McDavid can say, "Hey, every time I'm coming down the right wing, I'm getting hooked." That might not happen again the same way until the thir- third period, right? Well, well, absolutely. It, it's relentless. The pressure on officials is relentless. By five players, five on five, every play up and down. Three officials mixed in with ten huge athletic guys who are feeling that they have the ability to communicate at any time with the official about the injustice being done done to them on the court. So you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Reed. It, it's just that interplay and just the reality of, of uh, how one human being affects another on the court. And once in a while, I think officials' judgment can be clouded just by who uh, is involved in the play. So now what, I'm, I'm going to share my, my hockey opinion and God, this is this is not something that comes easily for me because I'm not the guy that feels I have any expertise at all. I've watched the Oilers games. I watched clearly to me, McDavid is being grabbed, and he should, and it should be called because it's creating in in basketball. They call that advantage officiating. If what your play is doing is creating an advantage, that's when a foul is called. So that to me, they're taking the, the advantage being created on the ice is when McDavid is being held. And, and I don't understand, uh, you know, a lot of things about hockey, but that's one thing that baffles me of why wouldn't that just be called? Because that 
really doesn't seem to make any sense to a basketball guy. Yeah, but you, but I still respect that, Paul, because you're. A, I mean, you and I know each other well. Like we're both sports yeah. fans deep down. We watch yeah. as much as we can, and obstructionist <laughs> like you 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 don't yeah. have to, you don't have to know the the you don't have to yeah. be able to draw up a breakout to know if a guy's yeah. being obstructed yeah i mean I, I you know i don't understand a lot of the nuances the the fact that you have offsides in hockey still baffles me but but uh <laughs> i'm the wrong guy to talk to but i look at that and i go jeepers why are they you know why are they allowing that to go they you got the best player maybe in the world right now being impeded by somebody with a, a third of his ability, but all he can do is grab onto him, and and that to me just creates an unfair advantage and takes away from what McDavid should be able to do. It's an interesting, it's an interesting debate, and I mean, we don't bring you on to, to bait officials, but I mean they're they're a part of the game, and like you said, there is the human element. Some as good as they are, sometimes they can feel intimidated or that well, I've called three this way, maybe I should call one the other way. So so it is now basketball is different because of the frequency of the fouls, but st- I mean I you know I used to call the U of A games. And I would be uh, when I when we did it courtside. I was right beside the Bears or the Pandas bench, and there's usually an injured player or an assistant coach. And you've been there who counts fouls, right? Oh, and yeah, and you'll often hear a coach saying, "Hey, that's seven of the last eight on us. When are they going to get one?" Like it's they're always work. They're always working them, Paul. Oh, always working. The, the one the guy that I got the biggest kick out of working the officials is Phil Allen, our, our great friend who passed away. Uh, two years ago now, and Phil was, he would work, I mean, it, it, it was like when the, the horn went off for the next 40 minutes, Phil was working the officials. You know, whether it was direct calls, one of Phil's favorite tricks was to talk to his player standing by an official, and he would complain to the player about the official. <laughs> and he would say to the player, don't worry, he's not going to make that call, that call for you all night. He just doesn't see it. He, he prefers to call it on the other team. He would just be baiting the officials the whole time. And it was Phil was Phil was an artist uh, at that. I think being an official is the toughest job on the court. Of the twelve people on the court or thirteen people on the court, they have the toughest job. And and almost all of the time they do a great job, even though my technical foul count wouldn't necessarily <laughs> bear that out. But but they really do. I I wouldn't want to do their job for anything. So I have a great deal of respect for the officials. But they're human beings too, and one of the great things is when you talk to these guys that are that put on the stripes, put on the whistle, and when you know when, when they just sit down and talk, they go, "Yeah, I know. We we make mistakes just like coaches make mistakes. They're very they're very aware of of the fact that this is a very human game, very human experience, and you know sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. But but I know what coaches appreciate is just when officials are giving their best effort to call a good game. And most of the time, it works out. Afterwards, you're looking at film, and you go, you know, that was pretty well officiated. Paul, before I let you go, I I know we're rolling into Christmas here, but uh, anything coming up for basketball, Alberta? I think you didn't. Didn't you guys already announce something going on uh, in the spring and summer today? We have. uh, We're um, there was an announcement by the NBA that there is an under 14 junior NBA uh, World Championship, and Alberta will be participating in that. And we're going to have an announcement on when, what the format's going to look like. But under 14 club teams are going to be able to play off. We'll have a provincial champion in boys and girls. They're going to play off against the provincial champions from B.C. And the winner of that is going to go out to a national championship. And the winner of the Canadian national championship 
we'll be heading down to Orlando, Florida for a world championship. So very exciting for these under for the under 14 kids. Uh, we have our provincial team tryouts in January, Reed, and we have some very exciting announcements, I hope, coming up regarding three-on-three. So a lot of good stuff happening. Keep me posted. What's the website again? Uh, basketballalberta.ca. Paul, we got to do this again soon. Thanks for checking in, man. That was great. I look forward to always look forward to it, Reed. You take care. Happy holidays. That is Paul Sir, Executive Director for Basketball Alberta. I love talking uh, sports with him. And, uh, man, that was that was a really interesting take from Paul uh, about what can happen in an NBA game. And and Paul said it. I mean, he's a basketball guy, but he lives in Edmonton. He watches Oilers games when he can. He recognizes McDavid's talent. And he's saying, yeah, I, mean, I, I see him getting grabbed. And I see him wondering what's going on. It, it's an interesting debate. And uh, if you've listened to my show at all, you know, I, I try not to, unless sometimes I really get mad, to really go after officials. You try to think what they were thinking. But, hey, they have an effect on a game. And a conversation like that about how stars are treated in basketball as compared to hockey, I, I think, is worthwhile. And I think it's something uh, worth keeping an eye on. It is 721 Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Hey, there's the Oilers leading goal scorer to this point in the season with 14, the Nuge. Back at it on Thursday against the St. Louis Blues, Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. St. Louis in town, 5.30 face-off show, game at 7 on Thursday. Then on Saturday, the 23rd, it's going to be a 5 o'clock start, so we'll sign on with the face-off show at 3.30 against the Montreal Canadiens as the Oilers try to get it figured out on home ice. 6-10 and 10 now at Rogers Place after beating San Jose yesterday. Of course, no Oscar Clefbaum for the next week at least. He's on injured reserve. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. Uh, Oscar's game has come a long way over the last uh, the last few weeks. Uh, he's been playing sore and hurt for a while. And um, uh, with us getting Larson back and Sakara getting close, now is the time to give him... Uh, the time he needs to heal uh, throughout the Christmas break. So he's gone on IR. He'll be out for a minimum of seven days, obviously. And um, hopefully that will help him uh, get his body back to where it needs to be to perform at a high level consistently. So I think this means there's a, a pretty good chance, maybe a better chance than we thought 24 hours ago, that Andre Sekra will be active for the Thursday game against the St. Louis Blues. Other Oilers notes today, and you can always catch up on 630chet.com, by the way. Nathan Walker has been put on waivers, just two games played for the Oilers. Anton Slepeshev, uh, after being on the AHL roster for a day, is called back up. And uh, Greg Chase traded to Florida for future considerations. The Oilers are starting to get some more depth scoring, looking better with the three centers down the middle, and McClellan especially liking what he sees from that line of Dreisaitl, Kara, and Strom. Both uh, JJ and and Stromer were challenged to take their games up, and um, Leon was a good complement to those two. They they all have size, uh, they have a skill level, and JJ's protected pucks and created plays. Uh, consistently, Leon with his vision, and uh, now Stromer's getting more active in and around the paint and, and shooting pucks. So, uh, pretty good combination, and for the most part, we can trust them defensively as well. Text here to 630, 630. 
Reed, how much do you think of the difference do you think Brandon Davidson has made for the Oilers? I think they should sit Benning before Davidson. Well, they won't have to sit uh, sit anybody if it's as simple as Sekera in for Clefbaum. That could depend on the situation. I think Davidson has played very well. I think he's energized by returning to Edmonton. I'm sure you've heard the several interviews where he's emphasized how happy he is to be back in Oilers' colors. Uh, Look, Davidson's a depth player. I don't want to overrate him, but I don't want to underestimate him either. He's really come back and done a solid job, been firm in his own end, and been efficient getting pucks out. I, I mean, there's a lot I like about Benning game, Benning's game, too. I, I think he started a little slowly. Sure, there's been some uh, tough games along the way. Maybe that comes down to a matchup thing if you have to make a pick or, or a lefty-righty. And quite frankly, you got uh, a V2 hanging around as well who has shown flashes. I think he can be an overly risky player at times, but I think he's been settling in as well. So the Oilers are looking better. Can they keep it going? Can they make a charge? to the postseason. Going to be fun to watch. Jen Kish has been fun to watch. Proud Edmontonian. Member of the Canadian Rugby Sevens team for the past several years. Has an Olympic bronze. She will soon be retiring from the sport. She will tell you why in the next half hour. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Are we not all in agreement that the world needs more honeymoon sweet? Great song. New girl now. Remember the heart-shaped bed of nails in the video? Yep, classic. Thanks, Kellen. That's a great Christmas present for old Wilkie. Little honeymoon suite coming back from commercial. Scoreboard update. Our organist and our scoreboard update vocalist are back after being on strike for two years. Red Wings lead the Islanders 5-3 late in the third. The Rangers have beaten the Ducks 4-1. That's good for the Oilers. They're trying to pass Anaheim and many other teams. Anaheim remains at 36 points. The Oilers have 32. Late in the third, Minnesota leads Ottawa 6-4. That's not good for the Oilers. Bruins up 1-0 on the Sabres in the third. Second period, Jets and Predators tied 3-3. Capitals and Stars tied 1-1. In the first, Panthers and the Coyotes are scoreless. Still to come, Montreal at Vancouver, Tampa Bay at Vegas. Earlier, Maple Leafs crushing Carolina 8-1. Jen Kish has been a proud member of the Canadian women's rugby sevens team for several years. In 2018, she will retire. Jen, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I am so well. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. You know, I got I got to give a little bit of backstory here before we dive into the meat of the interview. Uh, I can't remember how long ago it was. Several months, maybe it was even a year ago. You put on your Twitter account, "Big announcement coming later this afternoon." And I texted you and I said, oh, my God, Jen, like, what is going on? Are you injured? Are you moving? Are you retiring? 
and you were like, no, I'm getting a new puppy. <laughs> you remember this? <laughs> you remember this? Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> You're like, oh. but, so, but now you actually did announce <laughs> retirement plans uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago. So it's, it all, it all kind of turned out that way anyway. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Um, it was on Friday, and um, you know, I've get, I'm getting the, the question like, why are you announcing retirement um, at the beginning of your season? Because most athletes announce it near the end of their season or at the end. And um, well, I decided, you know, there was only one main reason why I decided to go this way, and it was. Um, it was because it was to prevent me from convincing myself to like keep playing no matter how well I play this season. Um, because, you know, I, I want to go out while I'm still playing good rugby. And then, you know, this, I also wanted to give fans a heads up in case they, they don't necessarily follow our series to maybe tune in and watch my last season and how it plays out. Well, and, and I know from, from talking to you in the past and, and uh, Rugby Sevens being at the Olympics, people really enjoy the sport and certainly enjoy cheering you on. Does this, does this decision and the timing figure at all into the, um, into the Olympic cycle and maybe give your coaches and teammates the ability to say, okay, like Jen's here, but when it comes to the Olympics, it's going to be uh, you know some new blood coming in? Does that figure in at all? Yeah, I mean, um, I probably like I'm, I've been. This is my second year decentralized now, and every year training away from the team, it's getting harder and harder to be a top player. Um, the development that is coming through, they're they're really talented, and I mean, I could probably stay decentralized and and make 2020. Um, I probably wouldn't be a top player on the team, but I'd probably be able to be good enough to still be on the bench. But however, I mean. It's about the future of rugby in Canada, and, you know, I want these development players to get as much game time as possible, especially leading into the most pinnacle event of their careers. Um, and, you know, this season, it's it's huge for me on a personal level because there's a lot going on um, with the Commonwealth Games, and then, you know, we have an opportunity to win a series title, and then obviously the World Cup. And when I started playing rugby, World Cup was the the pinnacle event in rugby. Um, and now it's the Olympics. But yeah, when I started, it was the, the World Cup. And it, I think it'd be so great to end my career um, at a World Cup opposed to an Olympics, which may sound bizarre to some people. But um, yeah, it's 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 been a great journey. And I, and I cannot wait to see how our youth does and how our development continues to develop in the next three three years. Well, and that's, I, I think you make a good point there. So tell me in terms of participation, I guess beyond participation, in terms of developing elite female rugby players in Alberta and in Canada, um, can you contrast that now to say 10 years ago? Ten years ago, it was non-existent. Basically, you joined a club, um, you played high school, you tried out for a provincial team, hopefully a scout seen you, and then you got invited to a national camp. Um, so it was there was a lot of players back in the day that were super talented but never really 
had the opportunity to be seen. Um, now, because rugby has grown into this massive sport in Canada, especially because after the Olympics, um, there's there's better pathways. Um, we're not fully there yet. Um, Alberta, it's it's really hard for athletes from Alberta to be to be seen because we don't have um, a high performance center. Um, that are filtering these athletes through to the national team like we do in Ontario. Um, and especially that athletes in BC, um, because our centralization program is in Victoria, um, they're seen a lot more by, by coaches and they're also playing rugby all year round. Um, but in Edmonton now we have the, um, that dome that you can use throughout the season, the year. And, um, I hope to, um, start running rugby clinics and start developing the youth so we can filter more players from Alberta um, through to the national team. And um, I think that's the only way for us um, to stay on top in, on the international scene as a Canadian team is if we keep developing those players and making sure that they have everything that they need to be successful and so that they can be seen. Jen Kiss joining us on Inside Sports, Edmonton athlete, bronze medalist at rugby sevens at the uh, most recent Olympics and now heading into her final season. So is, is that, is that going to be a focus for you player development coaching once you're done playing? And I know you, and I know you want to focus on playing and we'll have plenty of time to talk post playing, but I mean, it seems like you're already laying some groundwork for how you want your, your life to be in your daily routine to be after you're not playing. Yeah. Like I've, I've put some thought into it. I, I don't have any set plans, but I do have some ambitions and visions that I'd like to make reality. Um, like I said before, I'd love to, I would love to stay, uh, still stay in the sport somehow. Um, I've thought about running rugby clinics in the near future, you know, to help get more kids involved in rugby and, and hopefully spark some dreams to become Olympians. Um, you know, I, at some point down the road, I'll return my focus to my personal training career and, and help people there reach their fitness goals. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of visions that I have, um, but ultimately, you know, I want rugby to continue to grow, and I want um, females and and to to join our sport and and just to make it, you know, a household name for Canada. Like rugby on the women's side, you know, we've been top three for the last um, I don't know five six years in the world and our men's side now you know they're they're consistently growing so um we we have to keep that going and um i think the only way that we can do that is if we get people in the right positions to help that and i think being a retired uh athlete soon to be i guess um you know i have the opportunity to to do that and i and i hope to to be successful at it and start filtering athletes through to the national program jen maybe a funny question but you're 29 is that old for a rugby player? I mean, I hope you know what I'm getting at, right? Because some sports, you know, athletes peak in their early 20s. Other sports, sometimes uh, uh, people can play in, into their late 30s or even into their 40s. Is, the, is there kind of that age thing for rugby, or, or give me a sense of that? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, if you look at curling, I do believe that um, curling it consists of, you know, um, older athletes, um, and in rugby, because it's such a high-impact sport, um, you know, a lot of injuries tend to happen. Um, some rugby players can go their whole career without sustaining any 
any injuries. Um, and the, but the majority of rugby players do have some sort of type of injury that that happens. And um, it's just the nature of the sport, um, especially with the contact. It kind of wears down your body and. If you don't take care of your body at a young age, then you may find yourself retiring <laughs> at the age of 29, 30 years old. Right. So um, that that is me. Um, I mean, like, I've had a lot of injuries in my career. Um, and, you know, it's 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 not – it's, it's kind of slowing me down. Um, but I, I have been super smart in managing, um, you know, some, some past injuries and, some, you know, my the current injury that I did have, which was – the broken pelvis um but it's yeah it's 30 any, anything past 30 i think um you're you're really stretching it um i and i hate to have age as a limit because age should never be a limit but when you're playing a contact sport you have to be you know there's reality and the reality is is that you're not going to bounce back like a 20 year old right you know, i have some some 20 year olds on our team right now and they don't even need to stretch or warm up properly and you know they're playing full 14 minute games and you know they're they're loving their life and i'm just like wow to be 20 again like that you know <laughs> um but then you have athletes like me saying hey guys you need to stretch warm up properly and i mean our program has has uh has leaps and bounds you know it's a very professional program and these 18 20 year old kids who are now in it but they are warming up properly and they are doing you know the the a to z check checklist and um they're going to have really long careers and hopefully one day the average uh age for a rugby player does go past 30 um you know we do have some people in our sport who have played up until 40 and i think that was anna richards from new zealand um it depends on how you want to go out as a rugby player, too. All right. Final question. Uh, I mentioned the dog. Has there been a recent uh, canine edition as well? By the way, if people want to see cute, if people want to see cute dog pictures, follow Jen underscore Kish on Twitter. So how many dogs in the family now? So we have two. Okay. Um, and it's funny because people are like, why would you get another dog when you're still traveling and <laughs> playing rugby? And basically we got the other dog um, for our other dog. Um, because, you know, my partner, she works a lot. And when I'm away on tour, um, our first dog, Wiggles, you know, would be alone for, you know, a few hours, six hours at a time. And uh, we felt bad that she was, like, isolated. So we thought, you know what, let's get her a friend. Um, double the trouble, for sure. Um, I have no idea who wrecks what. But at the same time, um, the second dog has been a lot easier to train. So um, overall, it was a good life decision. Um, <laughs> at some points, I was like, what did I just do? Um, but, yeah, her name is Pixel, and she's a Morky. All right, that's awesome. And, yeah, well, December 14th, I'm looking at some pictures right now on your Twitter account. That's incredible. Jen, <laughs> uh, you're incredible. Uh, you know, thanks for filling us in. Uh, obviously, you got several more matches to play, so all the best. And I know we're going to keep in touch. Have a great Christmas, too. Thanks, you too. It was nice talking. Right on. That is Jen Kish, 2018 Rugby World Cup Sevens, San Francisco, July 2021. That'll be Kish's final tournament as a member of Team Canada. It's 749.
this is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. I really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's 7.53 in the p.m. Kellen Kennedy is on the other side of the window as your studio producer. Kellen, old boy, have you seen Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, written no. and directed by Ryan Johnson? <laughs> Not yet, but uh, next couple of days I'm looking forward to getting out there and seeing it. All right. Yes, so probably the next 48 hours. I will no opinion or spoilers. All right. I did see it on, when did I see it? Saturday night. Okay. I, I feel like I want to say something about it, but I don't <laughs> want to say even the slightest thing. Well, I tell you what, I'm back Friday. Let's talk about it and table this discussion well, till Friday. Well, but I don't want to ruin it for people who are, it's amazing how many people I've oh, talked to who are point. waiting to Boxing Day, mm-hmm. New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, or maybe even beyond. Right. I couldn't wait more than the first weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I tried that a couple of years ago when um, The Force Awakens came out, and I found that the wait time was a little too long on my part because by the time I went to go see it, which was like the week after New Year's, it was already getting spoiled online all over the place and, you know, through YouTube and everything. So I've, I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try and see, you know, middle of the week, have some days off, Go on one well, of them and, and check it out. People are being respectful on social media, mm-hmm. which is great. Yep. But I mean, sometimes it's hard to talk about it without giving something away. So a couple of my friends have said, "What did you think?" And I've just said, "Not saying a word right. until you've seen it." Mm-hmm. And fair. then they try to read into that, like, "What oh, was it? Th- th- does that mean it's bad?" Is that no? It just means I'm not saying anything. No. No comment is no comment at the time. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just no comment. Yeah. That's you know right. what we do need though. What's that? We need a Porg. Yes. The Inside Sports Porg? We need an Inside Sports Porg. Okay. Like, if the Oil Kings can do <laughs> Star Wars jerseys, can't we get our own Porg? <laughs> uh, that's going to be the hot Halloween costume in 2018. Uh, well, the uh, I can't remember her name. The actress who plays Rose in The Last Jedi went as a Porg for Halloween. Ah, yeah, okay. It should, it's, yeah. <laughs> the more you know. So the Oilers have put Oscar Clefbaum on injured reserve. We'll see if Sekera gets activated to play against the Blues on Thursday. That one's on Ched. 5.30 face-off show game at 7. Slepeshev called back up. Walker on waivers. Greg Chase traded to Florida for future considerations. Going through your scoreboard. Afternoon game in Toronto. Celebrating the NHL Centennial and Toronto Pounds Carolina 8-1. The Coyotes lead the Panthers 1-0 after the first. In the second period, Washington and Dallas tied 1-1. After two, the Jets lead the Predators 4-3. Patrick Laine and Nick Ehlers both now up to 17 goals. Ehlers with two tonight. Late in the third, Bruins up 1-0 in Buffalo. Minnesota knocks off Ottawa 6-4. The Rangers get a 4-1 win over Anaheim. The Red Wings double up the Islanders 6-3. Thanks to our guests tonight. You heard from Jen Kish, Paul Sir, Scott Johnson, Ken Reed, and Kelly Rudy. Ken Reed's new book written with and about 
Dennis Marouk, the NHL's forgotten 60-goal man. We're back tomorrow at 6. Don't forget, Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. And, of course, you just heard from Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. My name is Reed Wilkins. I thank and cherish each and every one of you for listening tonight. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.